The AFEM Industry Insider is brought to you by This Is Distorted, the world's biggest producer and syndicator of electronic music programs and podcasts. For more information, go to thisisdistorted.com or at thisisdistorted on socials. On air, on demand, on brand. This is Distorted. <laughs> is the Industry Insider from the Association of Electronic Music. The AFEM Industry Insider. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Industry Insider from the Association for Electronic Music, the global trade body representing the entire ecosystem of electronic music from small startups to huge global companies, artists and individuals in all areas of our incredible industry. I'm Andy Durant and this episode is titled Events Reimagined. You know, the, the massive challenges of the last 18 months have really highlighted both the fragility of the electronic music live sector and the deep interdependence of the chain of businesses and creatives that are involved as well. So on this podcast, we're aiming to look into some of the innovations and new ideas developed during the COVID and lockdown periods and how we can work together to make the, the whole ecosystem and electronic music scene more sustainable, more inspiring, and hopefully more future-proofed as well. As always, we have pulled together a group of experts, interesting and forward-thinking people to guide us through it. So we've got Andy Payton, Claire O'Neill, Daniel Fletcher, Joe Bidler, and Morgan Dean. And just before we get into it, I don't know if you guys would just mind introducing yourselves, just going around the, uh, the virtual room and telling us in one sentence where you work and what you do. Sure, I'll start. Hi, um, my name is Morgan Dean. Uh, my own company called Lasher Lewis Productions, and I'm also the managing partner for a company called 508 Operations. Um, I specialize in event and festival operations with a focus on risk mitigation and harm reduction, specifically in the areas of crowd management and uh, since the start of the pandemic and COVID-19 uh, compliance and safety. I'll go second. Um, I'm Claire O'Neill. I'm the co-founder of a company called Agrina Festival, or AGF, as it's otherwise known. Um, for 15 years, we've been working on sustainability for the live music, entertainment, sports industry, um, mainly festivals, but more recently tours, arenas. Um, I'm also the chair of AFEM's Green Working Group and uh, back before the pandemic and hopefully in the future, creative producer and aerialist on Arcadia Spectacular's shows as well. Hi, um, I'm Andy Payton. I am one of the owners of Columbo Star, which is a festival company, owns Eastern Electric's Maiden Voyage and a bunch of other smaller festivals. I'm also the head of music and touring for Boiler Room and I'm the, program, the head programmer of a, the reopened, soon to reopen Coco in Camden. I go next. And, um, uh, my name is Daniel Fletcher. I'm Chief Innovation Officer at Primera Sound, uh, which is best known for uh, Primera Sound Barcelona, which is one of the biggest live music festivals in, in Europe. Um, but uh, as a company, we have other uh, uh, lines of activity, for example, a creative agency, and a video production company. We do also talent management and we have uh, record labels. As a live music uh, company, we are starting new events in 2022 that we will soon announce. Hi everyone. Hi, my name is Joe Vidler. Um, my background is in festivals, um, founding festivals in the UK. Before the pandemic, I was the creative director of um, Elro, 
during the pandemic, um, I left Elro and started a new business called AMFE, which is all my friends everywhere, and started building um, travel, immersive art experiences globally with private clients. Thank you very much. Um, so I've got like a set of questions to go through and we'll aim each one at a certain person, but please, please feel free to jump in at any convenient point if you feel like you've got something to add That's to all our panellists. And when we're done, we'll hand over to everyone who's watching, listening on the call as well to fire any extra questions over. So first up, maybe Joe, if you want to kick us off, if we are reimagining events, how creative can we actually be and what would our imagined events look like? Big question. <laughs> um, first of all, I don't think the pandemic has affected in terms of creativity um, and pioneering um, new ideas. I think in a way it has helped a lot of new talent come through. I think the most people that have struggled during pandemic, creative companies that struggled during pandemic are the ones that um, had very large overheads and in turn have are now playing catch up um, and so are unable to think as as forward thinking is perhaps new, new, new talent coming through. I, I never think that, uh, that creativity should ever be, uh, not be big and massive and new ideas. I think a lot of, um, a lot more immersive and experiential, um, has come out and will continue to come out from, from the pandemic where people have had a chance to sort of sit back, look at their business plans, um, and work out how they're going to move forward and have a bit more time with family, friends, and a bit of a break. Um, and I don't know, another quite difficult one to answer, but what are some of the most useful and innovative, innovative uh, business practices or ideas that you might have seen pop up during and after the pandemic? I guess that's sort of like, how are things changing? Well, I mean, looking around me, I think the, the, the biggest one is obviously the balance between between life and work, <laughs> family and work, which in our industry is always a bit more difficult um, because we live a lifestyle, not just a job. Um, and I, I've seen a lot of um, fellow colleagues putting family before work for a bit, which has been great. And remote working has, has certainly helped with that. And are coming back after the pandemic and really having more of a focus around how to balance rather than just, just, you know, running around in, in crazy land. I think that's only going to, that's only going to be better for the industry and better for everyone around them. It will help with mental health, etc. So um, I think for me, remote working and, and, and being a little bit more structured and better with your time. I, for me personally, I had a baby during the pandemic um and my my work my work ethic before is very different now and and I you know I really set set my times on when I'm working and when I'm when I'm spending time with family and friends which ultimately is the most important thing Absolutely. And on a, a sort of a, a slightly related theme, there's been quite rightly a lot of focus on the live music industry when it comes to sustainability and, and a greener future and that kind of thing. What are some of the important steps that need to happen for our industry to, to protect and, and, well, I guess not further damage the environment through through big events and live sector activities? It's really interesting because I feel like there's a difference between people that are going to continue their practices in the same way and people that are going to start building new experiences, new events, etc. Um, I think 
traveling around over, during the pandemic, it was it was incredible seeing how the environment changed in in those in those couple of years. I mean, we were traveling on boats, seeing sea creatures that hadn't been visible for, for years because of the amount of tourism. So it was kind of like a double-edged sword for a lot of a lot of countries globally, where no events were happening, there was no tourism going in, but their 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 natural environment was just was was just incredible you know jungles growing back seas having lots of um, species back in and fish everywhere um and i think and hope that um new new i guess people that have come back in our industry will um well that'll be their first thought why not after you haven't done anything come back and do it properly from the start brilliant um, so Morgan, I'll move on to you if that's okay. Live streaming was a huge part of how artists in the industry reacted to the COVID restrictions. Obviously, it was the only real way to do it. So do you see hybrid events becoming more popular now, now that real events are back? I mean, are ticketed or li- free live streamed access to shows part of the strategies going forward? Yeah. And I sort of, sort of, I, I kind of come at this from two different angles, the sort of, uh, OG raver in me um, really believes very strongly in the power of the community of a dance floor and being physically together in a physical space. Um, But I also think we identified a lot during the pandemic that for safety reasons, that wasn't always possible. And then I also think that it has sort of opened us up to this idea of like, for reasons of equity of access, um, it also may not, you know, we also perhaps need to be stop being quite so um, puritanical about this, like need to exist in physical spaces with, with each other and in dance floors. And, you know, I think particularly in in the global South um, and in other communities, which, you know, may not be able to hop on a plane and fly to Berlin. Um, And frankly, you know, to what Joe was saying, and, and I'm sure what Claire will speak about as well, it's not particularly environmentally friendly or sustainable to be doing that. Um, So I do think that, it has sort of recalibrated the way that we um, approach the community of our industry, the community of dance music, um, and that we don't have to be quite so dance music. I mean, so dance floor focused, even though, of course, that's, you know, the thing that we all love the most. It's like being at church. Right. But I do think that um, in a in a in a post covid or COVID adjacent world, um, in a world where we're focusing more on um, the impact that our actions make on the environment, and in a world where we're being more cognizant and mindful of making sure that everybody can experience our events. And also, frankly, that we are able to experience um, events and markets that we may not have classically paid attention to. I think sort of that um, trifecta of uh, of new realities will definitely inform events going forward. And I do think not only will we, but we should continue to focus on making hybrid events, uh, you know, sustainable and engaging for people who can't attend uh, physical spaces. Um, and I, you know, think that that means figuring out a way to do, do it better than just, you know, setting up a camera that shows the DJ booth and live streaming it. I think there are a lot of, you know, with the introduction of VR and maybe even the metaverse, who knows? um, I do think we can begin to create more um, dynamic and, and, you know, experiences that way. But I'd love to hear what Andrew has to say about that, actually. Um, Yes, I think that... uh it was it was very interesting being at Boiler Room when lockdown happened and seeing so many streams from everywhere else go. 
it was what one of the biggest takeaways we we took from the um, experience that we did. We did so many streaming from isolation shows with big artists that we might not always be able to get. And it was, um, it was really exciting at the start. And then after the seventh or eighth um, viewing of someone's house plants, we were like, you know, what's good about boiler room. It's the people dancing behind. It's not the, uh, it's not so much the person stood there doing essentially a mix at home. Um, and so I think the biggest takeaway I had or, or my team had was that, um, that you, you don't, it's not streaming or people in real life. It's, it's, uh, you stream the dance floor and that's when it's compelling and that's when it's interesting. Brilliant. And just going back to Morgan for a second, in terms of, uh, breaking artists. I mean, that was already pretty tricky before COVID, very tricky before COVID. What are some of the new challenges due to the pandemic, you know, in terms of introducing new artists? Have there been, have there been any upsides to breaking new talent in this kind of online age? Yeah, I mean, I actually think that <clears throat> I think that in a lot of ways there are more upsides than than downsides. Um, I think that people have spent a lot of this time getting better at their craft. So we're seeing innovative stuff coming out of people's bedrooms. Um, I think that, again, because we're interacting with the industry um, virtually, I think we're, you know, getting our hands on, you know, on, on new acts um, and, you know, having the opportunity to observe them. I saw some dope, I can't even remember some dope boiler room um, like Bangra stream recently. And I was like, this is amazing. And I never would have like ended up in that, you know, at that party had it not been um, for, you know, for it being streaming. And now I'm like, you know, I'm in London and I'm like, where's that party? I want to go check it out next time. Um, so yes, I definitely think that, you know, for the most part we've seen, a lot of a lot of upside in um, as we sort of pivot to more virtual experiences. But I also just think in general, COVID has made us more um, mindful, attentive, kind. You know, I think Joe spoke about sort of pivoting more to family, you know, to our families and thinking more about work-life balance. And I think that that change or that, that shift in our paradigms creates more... Um, space in our musical hearts for uh, different kinds of music and different sorts of artists and, and makes us um, more attentive to, yeah, to different, to different art forms and to different sort of ways of approaching things. So I, from that perspective, you know, I think that this has been a really kind of special moment in our um, evolution as an industry. Nice, nice to hear something so positive. I don't know who wants to field this one because it's a, a fairly wide question, but one of the big issues often raised by clubs everywhere in the world is that is difficult with, with, with booking talent that's happening during festival season. So are we seeing any loosening of those festival radius clauses? Um, what do you, it was, the phrase you used was uh, COVID adjacent. You know, now we're in this kind of time. You know, is the... Are we seeing people bending the rules a little bit to help clubs book the talent they need to survive and thrive? Is that happening? I, I don't think so, really. There was a lot. There was a lot of things that were said that um, were going to happen as lockdowns come to an end. Um, I remember one agent saying to me uh, when we were discussing their artists for festivals next summer that um, they wouldn't be doing any exclusivity at all because their artists needed to um, make back the money that they'd lost during lockdown. Um, but obviously, the problem with that is immediately a lot of promoters will then say, in which case, obviously I can't pay you the same fee or I, I won't book you. And so I think that the, the market kind of will just dictate that it, there, there's no, there's no 
altruistic reason by anyone to to previously or or mean reason to not give exclusivity. It's just you know the festivals need need exclusivity in order to sell the tickets and and vice versa. So I don't I don't think it I don't think it actually has loosened it. But one thing I noticed is that when the clubs in, in the UK at least when when the clubs and festivals started to reopen and almost every festival sold out uh, so easily that wild optimism has uh, led to huge numbers of festivals coming next summer. Um, and the upshot of that is that there's loads of competition for talent amongst those festivals and therefore they're being a bit looser with club dates in order to secure the talent. On a, I mean, you sort of touched on this, Andy, but um, it's, it's no big secret that the, the big top-level DJ fees have been rising significantly over the years. And like you said, some DJs have even, well, some people have even increased their fees since COVID to make up for that lost revenue. Um, are there any realistic new business practices that should be considered and advocated for just to try and make sure electronic music remains future-proof and sustainable? What should we be doing? It's hard to say. I think I think that the neither the promoters nor the DJs nor the agents can claim a, a monopoly on having had a hard time during lockdown. And so I don't think any one party could say, please, can you do X, um, you know, as a result. What, what we did when we, when we came back with Maiden Voyage Festival, we just did a budget where we, we decided we could do 50% of our tickets at £10 because we were like, yes, DJs and promoters and agents have had a hard time, but so have punters. And uh, maybe maybe those guys could could do the break as well. And so we we cut our cloth accordingly, and it it, it went down well. It worked. Um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of whether that's that's possible to do in the long term, it's I think it's the decisions of the individual the individuals involved. And then how does that affect? So how has the pandemic affected the the sort of diversity of music and artists being booked in in key clubs and festivals? It's actually a, it leads into a question that someone's been asking on the chat as well. I mean, are there examples where we've seen steps being taken to embed some more diversity ethos and values into events and business practices, or is the problem is because everyone's trying to get their money back and you know claw back some things that have gone wrong? Are we just seeing those same big twenty or thirty acts coming round and round again? What's going on? In my opinion, the the change that has meant people can do more diverse programming, promoters can do more diverse programming, is that the audience has better knowledge of music than ever before. Um, you know, it, it used to be that you'd do a certain genre of music on Fridays, a certain genre of music on Saturdays of your program in a club. And the reason was so that punters can go, oh, it's Friday, it'll be that, I'll go to it. Whereas now it's it's a complete waste of time to do that because Firstly, I can check the lineup at any point. There's no, there's no convenience there. And secondly, people get that they're able to experience music through streaming or through listening online prior to prior to going to the club in a way that they didn't before. And so you you run an advert on social media for Young Sing, which is who who you're talking about, Morgan, before I think the the, the daytime show, and people are immediately like, okay, that isn't straight up techno, but it looks really fun. And so I've got friends who aren't necessarily hardcore clubbers who are like, oh, I need to check out that Young Sing or I need to check out Shirelle or whoever's whoever's kind of had a moment, even if their music is is way off the kind of the top 20 DJs or whatever. Awesome. Um, over to Daniel next, if that's okay. Um, what kind of role do clubs and festivals play towards developing a healthy industry? And do you think that festival organisers see clubs as... Um, vital seedbeds, you know, to develop that pipeline of talent that our culture needs to to thrive long term. 
Well, of course, uh, from my point of view, a uh, uh, healthy uh, club scene uh, uh, helps uh, thrive new talent uh, that uh, then can can uh, go to festivals or to be part of uh, other events. And uh, uh, that healthy club scene, from my point of view, is essential because otherwise uh, we we see us. Now there are these, these platforms that, that give you lots of information about uh, what artists are most heard at every city or uh, uh, what are the artists that are growing more their fan base in certain countries or cities. And the risk of that is that it looks like uh, there are many programmers who are using those tools and not having a look at what's happening in the club scene. So... Someone commented before that, uh, yeah, here in the chat, that, that uh, we have all the uh, always the twenty, the same twenty massive acts everywhere, and looks like there are many event producers and festivals programming using tools that everyone is using now. Uh, so, if we don't have a, a healthy club scene that uh, where new talent can enter the the circuit, grow and thrive, and get more popular and grow a fan base. Uh, from from the very beginning, in a few years, we 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 won't have many options. Uh, so imagine in uh, at Primera Sound, uh, our team also uh, manages the pro- the program of uh, a very big club in in Barcelona, and there we're trying to uh, identify that talent that uh, is not too evident uh, for uh, for the mainstream. So, yes, I, I really think that it's important that uh, first that uh, we have a healthy club scene and that festivals work more uh, with, with club uh, programmers to identify that thriving talent that uh, could uh, jump to, to, to a festival at some point. And in terms of like a thinking wider scale on that, um, what steps should be or need to be taken on like a global community level for governments to start taking the culture of electronic music seriously and, and you know, not just kind of passing it off as something that people do to get drunk? Do you know what I mean? Where have we erred in the past and how can we do better? Well, uh, uh, the, the perception of the electronic music scene differs a lot from country to country. For example, there are countries where electronic music events are uh, perceive uh, as some da- dangerous events, uh, whereas there are cities that are, uh, are embracing their uh, club scene as a destination. Just to name a few, Ibiza or uh, Tbilisi, even, even Tbilisi, uh, or many other cities worldwide. And, and now uh, it, it's interesting because uh, uh, some of you were uh, commenting about uh, what new opportunities uh, open uh, after we, we 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 have gone through the pandemic and hybrid events and uh, streaming events and uh, how the, there have been during the pandemic there have been many clubs uh, streaming almost daily uh, DJ sessions from DJs I, I, I didn't really know but I, I really enjoyed a, a lot and um, these uh, these uh, live streams uh, of DJ sessions of course. Uh, project a, a safe image of, or an interesting uh, image of what uh, electronic, electronic music can be. It's uh, part of the popular culture. 
So the best we we we, we can do to to change that perception is uh, to insist that uh, electronic music is part of, of of the popular culture, and that it should be as safe and as interesting and as uh, rich. I, I, I mean, in, in the sense of what they contribute to 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 culture, to popular culture, as any other part of, of popular culture. But also we, we have a responsibility here to uh, make events safe. 100%. Thank you, Daniel. So, um, Claire, we'll come to you if that's cool. Um, what role do managers and agents play towards developing this healthy, more environmentally sustainable kind of industry? Um, it's a hugely important role, kind of at, at all scales of, um, of an artist's career because... When an artist is new and coming into the industry, the agent and the manager are the closest to them and they're going to be showing what is this culture that you're coming into and they're going to be the guides leading them into well, what, what is the way to operate within the industry, what's going to make you successful as an artist. And so that steering and that mentorship is crucial so that we're not essentially turning an artist's creative development and career into an increase in environmental degradation through excessive fossil fuel consumption, which at the moment is what we do across the board in the whole music industry. Um, and then conversely, at the other end of the scale, when the artist is really calling the shots, actually, then it's the agent and the management who are doing their work. <laughs> so they're the ones who can really influence whether we're going to carry on with this quite... Um, I'd almost call it a self-consuming model of having exclusivity and just a few headliners that get recycled again and again and again. Um, we need to be able to change that business model. We need to be able to actually go, okay, we're not going to make it so that the only way that you can afford to exist as an artist is to do this exclusive deal. So the only way that you can afford to make this festival work is to have an exclusive deal. I'm using exclusivity as, a, as an example just because we already discussed it. But I mean, it may ruffle a few feathers but that's how we stay fresh it's actually quite lazy <laughs> to just go ahead and book an exclusive deal it's risk averse um and it's boring you know i mean we're supposed to be a creative industry and that's the responsibility of everybody along the chain um, i think it's also quite interesting having worked with um we work with tours um which means that we touch every different part of the chain um, and when you speak to the promoters the agents hold the power. When you speak to the production managers, the managers hold the power. When you speak to the artists, the promoters hold the power. <laughs> so everyone's kind of pointing, waiting for somebody else to do it. But actually, it takes every single piece of that puzzle. Um, but certainly, unquestionably, the agents are in a very pivotal role of responsibility. You, you sort of touched on this, but I guess a big step towards that whole being more sustainable and stuff is building dance music locally, you know, rather than exporting and importing talent and everyone flying around on jets. So what steps do we think would be necessary to kind of move this idea into a more broadly accepted business like ethos or practice? Mm, well, it's a, it's a culture shift, isn't it? It's a, it's a culture shift of how we perceive success and how we perceive our industry. But it also um, solves so many problems in one go. Because if, uh, for instance, Daniel was talking about, um, and also Morgan touched upon, the accessibility um, of music in certain areas when talking about whether you do it digitally or live. If we're nurturing the grassroots 
within each place, then we're actually facilitating an enhancement of skills, of opportunities, of diversity, of access in every place. Um, and also, if you look at the core of what it means to be a sustainable society, <laughs> the most sustainable societies on the planet are indigenous communities, and that's because they're of place for a long, long time. Um, and what will happen if we do actually invest into music venues, into festivals, into um, artistic development, uh, you know, all these opportunities in every single town and every single country, no matter where they're from, like, no matter where they are, then we're going to end up just with an abundance of creativity and a lot more opportunity. And then we'll be able to have more sustainable tours and a more sustainable industry by doing more gigs rather than less. Now, the audience don't have to travel as far. You can cover more ground. You can cover more people in a shorter distance. And that helps for well-being as well, because you're not running from pillar to post, wearing yourself, running yourself ragged. Um, there's another point I wanted to make on that, about local, having it li like having a live experience. This might be a little bit of a, a tangent, but um, I think that we need to remember that we're not just responsible for the health of our industry. We're, it's actually much more important than that, the role that this sector plays. And that's that we are facilitating the opportunity and the spaces where young people can get together, where they can free their minds, their hearts and their bodies. And it's those young people who get inspired in those places that we create where they're going to imagine what our future can be. Because, I mean, I'm 20 years into this game already. I feel like I'm fresh, but I'm probably halfway over the hill already. <laughs> you know, it's the younger people that are going to be working out what on earth we're going to do in the next 10, 20, 30 years. And we need to give them that space where they can get away from their phones, where they can get away from the old ideas and actually recreate something new. Um, like I say, it's a bit of a tangent. <laughs> no, 100%. It was great. Um, so... COVID adjacent, again, I'm going to keep using that and borrow it. Um, there's a real clear shortage of suppliers. So we're talking about sound engineers, security professionals, all these kind of people who've changed their career, but they've had to change their career paths. You know, they've pivoted to their businesses due to the pandemic. So some of these missing people in the workforce came, obviously, with years and years of experience. Um, how can we deal with these kind of shortages in a sustainable way? Um, I think, again, we can turn it into an opportunity. <laughs> I only just thought of this in this moment, but in a way, maybe we're cutting off some deadwood because we had some pretty bad practices before. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a bit mean. Um, but uh, I think that, again, if we were nurturing from, um, you know, creating more venues, having more um, local industries as well, I, I say industries, more local scenes and nurturing those scenes, then we're going to be able to offer more opportunities to train, develop, reskill, but possibly in a better way than we had it before. Um, I mean, there's the issue, this is kind of back to your last question, but uh, I, I saw a panel last week and I think it was Nick Mulvey that said it and I want to credit him because he was talking about touring um, and how it's actually kind of a continuation of colonialism like when you just go around the world touring one style of music, one type of person, and they go around and take all of the, the credit, the money, consume, and barely touch like that local community that they go into. Um, 
I say that was kind of an answer to the last question rather than this one. Uh, nurturing the talent, it's connected. Again, it's about looking at what happens in that place. How can you have more, more for example, um, opportunities for sound engineers, for lighting, for rigging and so on and so forth within the venue, within the place, rather than it needing to be just one small crew that travels around causing more emissions, uh, again, wearing people out. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a, a, f- a few ideas for how we could get around it. I'm going totally off topic again, but I notice a lot for our, you get it a lot in the film and TV industry where they actually really push to nurture um, new and diverse and young talent in terms of like the behind the scenes people. You know, they do that really well. I think the, the, the film, the film industry about getting people behind the cameras and the sound engineers and stuff. And perhaps that's just something we don't do particularly well. You know, we look yeah. for who can make music, but not potentially who can do everything else. I guess that's right down to management and everything, isn't it? And agents yeah. and, and everything. Yeah, I mean, it is It is an issue, you're right as well. I mean, what we've found this year is that um, looking from quite a practical perspective, uh, sustainability plans for a lot of events or, um, or different parts of the industry have fallen short because suppliers are no longer available or because the crew aren't available or because they're focusing on COVID, for example. Um, but I do think that that this is kind of a temporary step while we readjust and um, and we can now reskill, upskill, but in a better way than how we did things previously. People, many people have realised that they don't want to work all the hours that God sends for not enough return. <laughs> Um, And I think that uh, by, again, looking at how you can do things more locally or how you can do things more slowly or how you can share the load better, then we're going to attract more people. You know, people want to spend time with their families. They value their personal time now as well, more so perhaps than before, since they've been given a glimmer of what it tastes like. Um, So that's further reason to look at these shorter or slower or more local ways of doing things rather than aspiring for uh, whizzing around the world every opportunity. Uh, Not to say that that doesn't have its benefits. I do think people moving around is a good idea. Of course. Okay. Well, we, we saw, I'm going to wrap it up quite soon and we'll, we'll go some questions um, for people who are kind of watching and listening in. But I just lastly wanted to go around each of you um, and just take it in turn, just in like a sentence. If you could change one thing about the events industry to improve um, the scene for your work, for your business, I guess for your mental health, for everything, the whole ecosystem that you work in, what would that one thing be? Do you want to start us off, Claire? Yeah. So um, it's just a big, small thing. <laughs> which is to essentially dismantle the patriarchy by showing how it's done in our own industry. Um, And I just want to highlight the patriarchy. It's not a man-woman thing. It hurts everybody. Every single human is hurt by our patriarchy model because in order to succeed, you have to step on the person next to you to get to the top of the triangle. And that's why we've got small number of people with all of the wealth and power and the majority of people are fucked. <laughs> so in order for us to succeed, we need to look at how we've repeated that patriarchy model in our own industry, where only a few people are benefiting at the top of the triangle and everybody else is trod on. And we need to look at how we're going to actually value caring for each other laterally and putting value. Because we, we create what has value in our monetary system. So putting value on well-being, putting value on the environment, putting value on each other and making sure that it's an equal 
not even equal, just a shared beneficial experience for everybody. Um, and I think that that would be the best thing that we could all do whilst we're here alive. <laughs> Amazing. Morgan? Yeah, I mean, I hate to be unoriginal here, but fuck the patriarchy. And um, in general, yeah, I mean, that's really all there is to it. In general, you know, as an industry, the dominance in this industry of, you know, white heterosexual men, it's like enough already, I'm bored. And uh, one of the things that, you know, I'm working for hard in, in, in my industry and just frankly in my own life um, is to make sure I'm amplifying the voices, amplifying my own voice, um, but also making sure that I'm amplifying the voices of um, people who look and sound like me. Um, and sorry, cis hetero dudes, no disrespect, but you had a really good run. Um, and it's uh, time to make a little bit more room. And I think with that room, we will see new music, new perspectives, new ways of doing things, frankly, better organized events and um, kinder environment for everybody to exist in. 100%. I don't know if, uh, Joe, do you want to dive in here? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, just just picturing some of those people moving aside, it's going to be, a, it's still going to be a battle for sure. Um, so um, for me, more collaboration, more participation, less ego, more nurturing and more guiding. Perfect. Andy? I think I'd just like to see a, maybe just a nicer discourse. I think that um, the, when, if people comment on um, online about DJs or collectives or even, even some like, you know, institutions, I think it's, it can be really, pe people don't really realize that there's other people reading them on the other side and, and it actually hurts people. And I think I would just make the discourse a bit more civil if possible. Brilliant. And finally, Daniel, what's that one thing keeping you awake? Yeah, uh, first, uh, subscribe me to everything that uh, Claire said. Um, so really inspiring. And we Destiny has granted us uh, 18 months to reimagine how should we start doing things after the pandemic. So uh, I hope that uh, everyone took that responsibility to, to try to make things better uh, in terms of sustainability, in, in terms of in, in inclusion. Hopefully we, we, we uh, well, that, that was, has one of the uh, main topics uh, at our offices and hopefully we, we, we will try to make things better. Uh, so I, 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 I wouldn't just say one thing. Uh, I think we, we have had a, a lots of months to, to rethink and to reimagine our activity and hopefully new engaging and interesting ideas will come up, uh, come, uh, come out, uh, out, come up out of this. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Thank you. A nice way to finish. A huge thank you to all for giving us a bit of your insight and expertise. We've just got, I guess, like about 10 minutes max left. So if people listening in um, who are on the call, if you want to turn your camera on and give a wave, uh, if anyone wants to um, and ask any questions to any of our any of our panellists, any of our experts, please feel free to join in. Maybe just introduce yourself first and say hello. Um, yeah, just go for it if you want. Hello, I'm Sylvia and I run a small label called Remarkable. Um, I suppose in the, I'd like to ask um, any of the panellists um, here their thoughts about the sustainability in terms of cutting carbon emissions. Um, we've just hosted COP26 in the UK and I think everyone now knows that, you know, we need in the next 10 years to cut 
CO2 emissions by 50%. Um, how are we going to do that whilst still having a culture where not only DJs, but um, festival goers or event goers are flying around the world? Um, and, you know, not just that, but other areas where there is a lot of consumption of fuel, um, fossil fuels, etc. Um, maybe Claire can start on that, but I'd love to hear anyone's thoughts around what we should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the, the easy answer actually is that we have to do it less. We've got no choice but to do it less, um, less flights for everybody. Um, that doesn't mean no flights, but we must do less. And that is actually going to be enforced upon us if we don't choose to do it ourselves. So better that we make those plans ourselves. The ways that that can be done is by looking at what our routing is, looking at how we're um, making money as an industry as well, looking at things like exclusivity deals that are forcing people to move. Um, and then as an aside to that, which is the obvious need to reduce, is that there are developments, for instance, we just um, uh, managed to avoid, I think it was 23 tonnes of carbon by using HVO in trucks for a tour instead of using mineral diesel. There is sustainable aviation fuel, but it's very small fractions of actually what is available. And then for small aircraft especially, there are going to be electric available in, within the next 10 years, uh, probably sooner. Um, so there are some technological solutions, but also, which we will be able to take advantage of because this is actually quite a wealthy industry, <laughs> you know, especially those that are able to take private jets. Um, but ultimately, we're just going to have to reduce, so we need to rethink our models. Um, one thing that I suggest is when you're creating a budget, whatever it's for, is to look at how much of this budget is being spent on fossil fuels and how much of it is being spent on creativity or on people. And then if you find that actually you've got X number of trucks, X number of flights, you can convert that into fossil fuels and go, okay, if, if we take that part of the budget that we're spending on fossil fuels, instead put it into the design or into the people, then we'll be able to reduce those fossil fuels and we're actually having more of a benefit with our money. Um, that's one way to kind of look at it from a different framework, I think, to redesign. All right. Well, um, if that's it, thank you so, so much, guys. We had uh, Andy Payton, Claire O'Neill, Daniel Fletcher, Joe Vidler and Morgan Dean, who were all, I hope you'll agree, absolutely brilliant. And I think that was a really insightful and uh, inspiring little talk. Actually, I really, really enjoyed that. Great as a kind of uh, just someone to listen in as well as asking the question. So thanks again, guys. Um, really, really appreciate that. And I'm sure everyone who listened to the podcast will as well. This is the AFEM Industry Insider podcast from the association for electronic music so I really hope you uh, enjoyed that and you found it interesting and informative. As always, we're going to finish off the Industry Insider podcast with a final word from Greg Marshall about what AFEM has been up to over the last few weeks and months. Hi, everyone. Yes, so much going on with AFEM since the last podcast. Through a wide range of collaborations on initiatives, lobbying and report creation, we're finding ways to increase our influence and become ever more effective as a hub for cultural leadership in the electronic music industry. We've run numerous working group education sessions for members on subjects like NFTs, online service relations, green initiatives, health, copyright and live sector insights. Our executive board elections ran last month where the membership voted candidates to the governing body of AFEM and that resulted in gender balance across that board for the first time, which is really positive. We launched a connections directory on our website in November, enabling members to find and contact each other for business opportunities. Our health group collaborated with Beatport 
on the Music Connects Us report to destigmatize mental health issues, and that gained huge reach at a time when a focus on mental health could not be more important. The Live Green Manifesto was launched with 13 association members of the live trade body ratifying the Beyond the Zero Declaration with the ultimate aim of reaching net zero emissions by 2030. And as part of LIVE, we also published an industry COVID mitigations document with the aim of keeping fans, venue staff and artists safe and events and venues open. And looking ahead with collaborations in development with the Featured Artists Coalition on their Kite Mark concept for artists and promoters, the Nighttime Industries Association to define the value of electronic music, both economic and culturally, and planning work with the Loop Harm Reduction Initiative to save lives and reduce hospitalizations at events and also started an initiative with a new audio watermarking and track ID technology, Sonic Data, to offer an exclusive free radio tracking service to our label and distributor members. And lastly, we're finalizing plans to launch a new lower cost membership tier in 2022 for independent professionals to encourage more freelancers, sole traders and self-employed people within the industry to get involved with AFEM and benefit from membership. So a lot going on and a lot to look forward to. So if you as a listener involved in the business of electronic music, whether you're a one-person startup, mid-sized or a large established company, we want to hear from you and get you involved. Drop us an email on membership at afemorg.net or send a message through our website, associationforelectronicmusic.org. The Association for Electronic Music presents Industry Insider. The AFEM Industry Insider is brought to you by This Is Distorted, the world's biggest producer and syndicator of electronic music programs and podcasts. For more information, go to thisisdistorted.com or at This Is Distorted on socials. On air, on demand, on brand. This is Distorted.